0: Uh, you know, if, if I tried to sing that high note that Tori just sang, two things would happen. Uh, I'd be in the hospital for an aneurysm, and I would need new pants. I know this. If I could sing like that, that's all I would ever do. I mean, that's all I would ever do. Like, I wouldn't even be able to have conversations. It would. I'd have to sing my replies back to you, because check out my voice, you know, I mean that, man, that's uh. when's the album come out? Uh, we have back here today. The album so there's singles, the album's just whenever the album is, the single, is it the song you just did? Oh, on Friday, okay, okay, all right, so, so you'll know Friday. About whether or not you want to take a chance on the single. I think the single's probably a pretty safe bet. Everybody should have a handout. Well, uh, if you don't, you can put your hand up, and maybe somebody will find you. Let's pray. We need the Lord's help. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and uh, Lord, we ask that you'd give us some insight into effective ministry. Lord, everything that you've called us to, you've supplied. You've resourced, uh, you have planned, you have enabled, and and then, Lord, you've done it. And so, Father, give us eyes to see how we are to roll as a church, the way that we're supposed to work, and the way that we're supposed to function. Uh, Lord, we want to we want to be able to look at your word and and glean the principles that enable ministry. And so, Father, equip us this morning. Open our eyes, open our understanding, and and then, Lord. Uh, convict us. We want to live what we know. We don't want to be guilty of being hearers of the word only. We don't want to see truth and then not submit to it and live it out in our lives. And so, Father, empower us to have ministries of integrity that that manifest your word, your will over our life as local churches. And then, Lord, be glorified in it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we were working through and and planning the retreat for this year, and Pastor Shelby said, hey, I think we need, as a church and as churches, uh, we want to look at the ministry principles that that, uh, we've been rolling with at MBT, and we want to spend a little time um, examining those. And so uh, since it's Alan, uh, Alan gets what Alan wants, and and so this is what we're going to do here uh, today and tomorrow on Saturday. I will... I'll be replaced by extreme compounded cuteness. The kids, be praying for the students. Right now there's a children's camp. They're learning music. They are learning uh, what it means to be a knight for Christ. And so that's they've got kind of a medieval theme going this week. And if you're a parent, you already know all about that. But be praying for the kids. And then be praying for the students. The students have their camp in the mornings. And so... We want to be trusting that the Lord is meeting with our with our kids. Uh, we want whole families to come back having heard from God and being refreshed in the word. Amen, Amen. So we actually as a church, MBT just turned ten uh, this last year, and we had a big party, yeah, praise the Lord and it is amazing how much has changed over these last ten years, and just let me. Take you back to the beginning a little bit before we get into the nine principles and, and kind of help you maybe understand some of the genesis for why uh, we wanted to describe and try to empower ministry at MBT the way that we did. Um, you know, back in 2007, when we started as a local, independent local church, um, we were a very small group of people and we had one pastor. And um, I don't know that I did a great job pastoring the local church. I, the way I describe it to our people often is a pastor is like a tub of butter. And thank God for butter, amen? <laughs> uh, butter just makes everything better. And that's the goal. You know, as a pastor, you, wanna, <laughs> you want to uh, be a blessing in everything that you're doing. And, uh, but the problem is a, a tub of butter will only cover so many slices of bread, and then it's out. And so what we definitely need to do is we need to be in the butter production business because there's a whole big loaf. It's a growing loaf of ministry that's just going to, you know, it's going to need that covering. It's going to need that care and, and uh, dry bread is good, but it's not as good as bread with butter. Okay, so I, one of the things that I've always been convinced of is I'm, I'm limited in terms of my capacity. Um, you know, if it's by my power and if it's by my brilliance that ministry is going to get done, well, then the church is not going anywhere. Uh, You know, I I, I think about it like this. If Alan, in terms of his capacity and brain power, if we described him as a Hemi, um, maybe a a 500-horsepower turbocharged Hemi uh, big block engine, okay? So I think we're getting in the realm of Alan's intellect and capacity, uh, if we, it's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. But uh, sometimes I'm not wise. I do that, and I look at Alan, and then I look at myself, and I think, man, God gave me a little 50cc engine. It's like a little, it's like a little weed eater, mo- lawn mo- you know, like a little weed eater engine, and and so that's what the Lord gave me. And praise the Lord, uh, that's going to get me there. But I, I have to recognize my limitations. Whenever a church is planted. Okay, this is one of the things that I've noticed. As the founding pastor of Midtown Baptist Temple, man, uh, I've got total latitude. I've got, uh, if I want it, total authority, and and I recognize the potential for a total disaster. Uh, everybody in a in a in a young church plant wants to know what the pastor is thinking, where the pastor is heading, and so every decision gets run through my office. Everybody. You know, there's uh, one of the things that you start noticing is, is, well, Pastor Sam wants or Pastor Sam said or Pastor Sam needs. And so everything isn't really, the danger is everything isn't based around uh, the, the mandate of God's word. It's, well, what did the pastor say? And so it, it can be a very dangerous thing. People end up following a man instead of following the man. Does that make sense? And so as the ministry grew, I'm recognizing that this problem is beginning to compound. And everything is beginning to gridlock. There is a big bottleneck in our ministry, and and I see it every time I look into the mirror. Uh, I began to become the greatest roadblock to, to growth and development in our local church ministry. Well, it's about that time that we recognized that we needed some more butter in the fridge. And so uh, one thing led to another, and we ended up calling Pastor Chris Best uh, to join with me and the pastorate at MBT. And from that time to today, a lot has changed. We've got five pastors uh, at MBT. We've sent two pastors out. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. A, it's a, a, kind of an odd thing, living faith. Um, you know, I... I don't know what else to tell you, but I still feel like Dan is our pastor at at MBT, and and now he's in another part of town. But Dan was one of the pastors, and now he's serving with Pastor Shockley uh, in Lee Summit, and the ministry there is beginning to grow. The ministry is beginning to multiply. We sent another pastor and a team to Tampa, Florida, And, and so the butter production is, you know, that there's, there's and, and pastors, I'm sorry um, if that's demeaning or offensive to you that I'm calling you butter, but you're butter, baby. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. You make everything good. So the, there's, there's been a multiplication of the pastorate, um, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's been a multiplication of leadership development. Uh, the ministry is growing. The disciples are coming online. Leaders are being trained and equipped, and then they're being tasked to lead the ministry. Uh, This is the way that ministry grows. If everything, if in our churches, if everything has to run through one pastor, and if that pastor falls into the trap of running everything, managing everything, micromanaging everything, then nothing gets done. Uh, I don't know about the rest of you in terms of your leadership potential, but if the success of Midtown Baptist Temple is based on my ability and capacity, then we're a local church that isn't going to get anything done. But the more we can multiply ministers and the more we can multiply disciplers, the more we multiply counselors, the more we multiply Bible study leaders, ministry leaders, ministry heads, that now the ministry is multiplying and great is the potential for increase for God's kingdom. Is everybody with me so far? Well, okay, so we're gonna multiply ministers. Well, how do we do that without there being no king in Israel and everybody doing what's right in their own eyes and we end up in a place where the word of God is being ignored and everybody's just kind of got the bit in their teeth and running willy-nilly wherever they want. Well, we were very clear in the, from the beginning. The mission has been very clear. Um, a lot of times... I think churches will fall into traps where they'll say, well, we want to just reach people. We just want to reach people. And under that heading of reaching people, you can end up into all kinds of craziness. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but you can end up into just all kinds of compromise, uh, all kinds of distraction. And the intentions are very good. We want to reach people. We want to see souls come into the kingdom and, and what can happen if we're not careful is we end up building a ministry that's all about addition. It's all about seeing how many people we can pack into our pews and how many people we can get uh, to attend our services and, and support our local church ministry. And all of that's a very good thing. We want to see living things grow. Amen. We want to see the bride of Christ grow. We want to see our local churches grow. We want to see our ministries grow. But that's not the end result. That's not the end game. Uh, The end game is every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Uh, The goal is Revelation 5, Revelation 7, where we see this multitude that nobody can count giving praise and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we said from the beginning we want to be a church that's used of God. We recognize we're a little inner city church. Uh, with few resources, but so help us God, and by his grace, we're gonna rock the nations for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not gonna be satisfied with anything less. We're gonna trust God to be glorified. Uh, You know, we're not much, but that's okay. That qualifies us greatly for God to do much. (laughs) Uh, You know, I read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I get so encouraged. Oh, yeah, I'm weak. (laughs) Uh, I am, in terms of the world's estimation, a a cast-off. God, I'm qualified for you to use me, and as a local church, man, you can use us greatly to be glorified in the uttermost. And so what we're trusting the Lord for is to have the kind of ministry and impact where there will be people in other nations and in other generations who will bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him with their mouth, and they will never know our name. They'll never know the name Pastor Miles. They'll never know the name Midtown Baptist Temple, but man... It was us that God used to train and equip and send the people that trained and equipped and sent some people that met them where they were at and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to them and the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth was understood. They submitted to it and they cried out for mercy and salvation and they began to follow Christ according to his word. That's going to be fruit to our account at the judgment seat of Christ. It's the only, pyramid screen, the, only, scream, the only pyramid scheme in the history of the universe that actually has some substance to it. Does this make sense? Anything else where you're like working to get four or five people under you and some other, cut man. Okay, so anyway, don't waste your life. Okay, so we, we, we want to make sure that what we're doing in ministry is having the outcome that we say that we want. We're saying that we want to win, train, and send people. We want to win people to Christ, equip them for ministry, and then through that equipping process, we want to see the ministry multiply. And a lot of churches will say that, but then they'll end up just holding services. Hello, somebody. Okay? Uh, We don't want to be guilty of saying we have a desired outcome, but then never do the things that Scripture very clearly commands that will end up producing those outcomes. We don't want to be guilty of just holding services. We want to do the work that the king called us to. Amen? Okay, so if we're going to multiply leadership and we're not going to have a ministry where everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes and for every leader that's a different direction in ministry. No, no, no. The work is very clear. God called us to win souls, And those souls that come to Christ, we disciple them, we teach them all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded them. We baptize them, and then we equip, we train them for the work of the ministry. And then under the stewardship and the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit, then, so help us God by his grace, equipped people will be going out of Midtown Baptist Temple to reproduce what we're doing around the world. And that vision, so help us God by his grace, will never change. Every year now, we have a vision update. We don't have a new vision. I want want us to get to the place as a local church ministry where the people are saying, Miles, we already know what you're going to say. Can we just save this Sunday and get something else done? At that point where God's people are saying that to me, touchdown. We get it. Our mission as a local church is to win souls, to disciple the saved to train and equip them for the work that God's called them to, and then as the Spirit leads them out to get behind them and support them for the reproduction of biblical ministry, whether that's through the Midtown Baptist Temple or through churches that we plant or through missionaries and leaders that we send around the world. Okay, so how to keep everybody doing the things that produce that result. That's the question, because every new leader has a new vision, they have a new direction, they've got, they want to put their stamp on the ministry, and I, and I get all of that. How do we keep us all minding the same thing? And so Pastor Best and I, is everybody with me so far? Just trying to catch you up to kind of how we got where we're at. So Pastor Best and I had a lot of conversations talking about how we want to multiply ministry at MBT. And we are, like your churches, we're elder-led, we're pastorally-led churches, and, and praise the Lord for that. There's, it's a biblical leadership model, and, and uh, a lot of good has been done through that. Um, you know, as a pastor, one of my objectives is to get to the place where I can really say before the Lord that my primary job as a pastor is to pastor pastors and to disciple disciplers and to counsel counselors and to lead leaders. Because if I'll do that, now the pastorate that God has given me is now being multiplied into the lives of other people. Does that make sense? In other words, if I'm doing all the preaching, if I'm doing all the counseling, if I'm doing all the soul winning, if I'm doing all the discipling, our church isn't going to go very far very quickly, right? Right? But if the pastorate can be multiplied into the lives of growing, qualified, trained, competent leaders, well, now that's how much more capacity the pastorate at MBT actually has. Uh, I first got a hold of this concept under Pastor Alan Shelby. I was part of the college and career ministry at the Kansas City Baptist Temple, and he didn't describe the pastor as a tub of butter. He described it as pie. A pastor is a, is a pie, and uh, and you know you you can only eat so many pieces of pie, and then the pie is gone. And and so that's probably a better metaphor. Hemi 50cc. Um, everybody loves pie. But uh, his goal was to multiply the pastoral pie. And for every slice that you take, then that pie grows. And and so so you know this isn't anything new. This is a concept that's been around a long time. Uh, Jesus did this with twelve men, and and look where we are now. Okay, so. Chris and I began to discuss this, and we began to talk about how do we see the leadership multiply where we're all minding the same, uh, speaking the same thing. And so we want to be elder-led, we want to be pastorally led, but we also need to be biblically led. We need to be principal or principally led. You know The Bible is a book of principles. The Word of God is the instruction manual that He has given us as His children and servants to equip us and direct us to show us how to do the work that He put us on earth to do. And it is an amazing thing. You can take the Word of God and you can discern these repeating, big, massive, overarching themes and you can begin to principalize the Bible. And these principles are consistent from Genesis to Revelation uh, you will see these biblical principles and, 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 and they're, they're firm and they're solid. You're not going to be able to find a place to unravel them. Uh, the Bible very much functions as a cohesive thought. It's a cohesive unit. All these different authors over all these different centuries working under the superintending of the Holy Spirit of God. They spake as the Holy Ghost moved them. It's God's word distributed, given and distributed through men. And it's yet one book, one message. And so from Genesis to Revelation, you find out that God's all about his people crying out to him in prayer. Uh, that's our first principle for ministry. And so as Pastor, and Be- Pastor Best and I began to work through, you know, how are we going to trust the Lord for our ministry to multiply? We said, okay, yeah, we got to, as, as pastors and leaders, we have to continue to meet and we have to continue to work with the growing pastors, the growing leaders to make sure that we're all on the same page. But that's Man, there's just only so many hours in the week to get everything done. And there's, there's really just so much that you can do as a pastor and a ministry leader to try to keep everybody on the same page. What we have to be able to do is come to the place where we say we trust God. God is at work in the life of his people. God's at work in the life of these growing leaders. And, and we can trust the Bible. Uh, if we can learn, man, if I can learn the Bible, and I'm still learning it, by the way, uh, the more I study it, the more I realize there's just a lot I need to learn. But I am learning God's word for myself. It's a wonderful thing. God speaks to me through his word. And if he can do that with me, again, 50 CC. Man, we got some big Hemi engines at MBT. If he can speak to me, if he can, if he can uh, open my understanding and give me his precious precepts, if those can be imparted into my life, well, he's going to do, do the same thing with the leaders that are coming up through MBT. We can trust them in that. And so what we need to be able to do is we need to be able to say, here are the major principles that keep our ministry in, if, if ministry, let's say ministry's a, a, a football game or a basketball game, you know, in order to play that game, you have to know where the limits are. You have to know where the boundaries are. You have to know what the major objectives are. And, and so you have to have these rules that, that there are enough people who know those rules that can make sure as they watch the game that, that everybody is staying within those boundaries and playing under those boundaries, those rules that enable the game to progress, enable the teams to move forward. And, and the same thing's true in ministry. Here are nine major principles that if God's people at MBT, will recognize them, know them, and then operate in light of those biblical principles, well then they have freedom to minister about the church. In other words, if somebody is looking at some idea in ministry or they got some, you know, maybe I have some burden from the Lord and I want to see how to move forward in ministry, well I don't have to run everything by Pastor Sam or Pastor, De- or Pastor Best or Pastor Briscoe. I don't have to I don't have to run everything by them. We know what the vision is. It's a clear vision. Uh, We know what the objectives are. In other words, you know, at MBT, if somebody says, man, I've got a real vision uh, for for soapbox racing, and I just feel really burdened from the Lord to to start a soapbox derby. Okay. Uh, What does that look like? Well, we're going to, uh, you know, I really want to get a lot of people, I want to get a lot of help, and, and we're just going to love on these kids, and and uh, we're going to build soapbox racers, and, and we're going to have these tournaments, and it's just going to be awesome. Well, what's the objective? Well, I just told, I just told you the objective. Well, go do that somewhere else then, uh, because this violates a lot of principles that we have. Now, again, I'm not making a case for a soapbox, uh, soapbox derby ministry, but actually, you could use that in a big way. Uh, to be an outreach into the lives of families if there are biblical principles uh, undergirding and directing and designing that ministry. Does that make sense? In other words, you can have activity that ends up just being activity unto itself, and it doesn't accomplish anything for God's kingdom. Okay, church, we're not gonna waste our time on that. But if that same activity is being used as a key to a culture, and again, I fully recognize nobody's in the Soapbox Derby anymore. Uh, with the advent of the Atari and everything that has followed that, there is no need to get outside and breathe fresh air anymore. We can just all... Okay, so whatever. But you can take some key to the culture and then through through, through using that, in other words, seeing where, seeing where people are at, if God's leading you to start some ministry initiative that will end up being used of God to win souls, to make disciples, to be a funnel or a shoot into the leadership equipping process, well then, oh my goodness, as long as it's not distracting people from the mission, as long as it's not getting in the way of where this local church is going, in terms of what we're doing, man, go knock yourself out. And I don't have to supervise all of that. I don't have to be in the middle of all of that. If the the brother or sister in Christ who is seeking to grow and multiply ministry, as long as they're in bounds, as long as they're under the submission of biblical principles, well then, you know, I don't have to be on top of everything because the word of God is already very clear and God's on top of everything. Does that make sense? Churches where everything has to run through the pastor, where everything has to meet his approval and everything has to be double-checked and micro-checked, Uh, quadruple analyzed by the, that church is going nowhere. I don't even care if this guy never sleeps and he's got the intellect of Einstein. That church is going nowhere because only God is omnipresent. Only God is omniscient. Only God can do everything everywhere all the time. Okay. We have to trust that God is at work in the lives of our people. Everybody with me so far? So here's where the nine ministry principles came from, this desire to say we want to be a principle, biblically, a a biblically principled, a biblical principle-driven church as much as we are a pastor-led church. Amen? Okay, so at MBT, we came to that stage where the church had outgrown my capacity and ability to effectively pastor it a small inner city church with few resources. But man, I praise the Lord uh, for the people that got full of faith and and said, so help us God by God's grace. We're going to trust him to plant a biblical ministry in the heart of the Kansas City Metroplex. Uh, These are men and women who, in the face of a lack of resources, I mean, literally, when we started, uh, we had a coffee table and a cardboard box for our workstations and our children's ministry. That's what we started with, a cardboard box and an old coffee table. Um, Dan painted some neat words on it, and so that made it cool, and and we were in business. We were very hip. No? It wasn't you? It was who? It was Blake? Blake? (laughs) We'll worry about who did it later. You guys can figure that out. Um, no cold, no hot water in the winter time. Uh, this is one of the stories we tell all the time. In the beginning of our, church, like nobody would actually want to come to our church. Okay, the, you, the kids would start shrieking and screaming and weeping whenever they go to the bathroom because they knew we would make them wash their hands. Well, there's in the dead of winter, there's no heat, uh, there's no hot water, and so we'd the, these poor kids would have their hands plunged in the in the icy grave of, you know, what? uh, so it it, it just was, I remember we would see, I remember I would see mothers come in with their kids, first time visitors, and they'd walk into our children's area and they'd have this, they'd have this look like you could just see it, the math, the wheels are turning, but the look looked like this, (laughs) I'm like, that person is never coming back. And uh, I would, from time to time, I would, I'd walk. Hey, you know, hi, it's good to meet you. And you know, we got plans for this area. <laughs> uh, one of these days, there's an upgrade coming down here. Um, you, you know, uh, one thing we don't, we don't, we don't have classrooms and walls, <laughs> stuff like that. But man, we got people who are full of faith, and they believe that your kids can learn the word of God for themselves. It's not babysitting at MBT. It's discipleship. Your kids, if you'll you'll consistently bring your kids here, they're going to learn the Bible. And uh, most would smile politely, and that'd be the last I'd ever see them. But you know what? A few would recognize the value in that. And uh, it's been amazing to see what God has built over the last 10 years. God is building his church, and the gates of hell are not able to prevail against it. We would have literal demonic outbreaks in the early days of our ministry. Um, There would be people who would shriek or scream during uh, the preaching or the worship, or they would throw up, or they would relieve themselves. I mean, if it's a fluid, we've mopped it up out of our, our sanctuary floor, you know, things like that. You know, there's all of these attacks and all of these distractions, and And the one thing that is amazing through all of it is just how faithful God was to work in the members of MBT. Uh, It wasn't for every, those early days weren't for everyone, you know. But, uh, man, for those who had that faith-filled pioneer spirit that says, one way or another, so help us God. God called us here. We're going to see people come to Christ. We're going to see disciples made. And we're going to see the ministry grow. Man, God used them to, to great glory. It's been for all of eternity, I'll be grateful. So these ministry principles, uh, they help keep us on track. They help us keep the main thing, the main thing. In terms of principalizing the Bible, I would wager that there are hundreds of principles, maybe thousands that could be gleaned. Uh, This list of nine principles are by no means uh, exhaustive. Okay, we were seeking to get to the fewest possible major principles uh, that we could then spend the rest of our lives hammering for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is not exhaustive, but this is very focused. Uh, you may, in your churches, look at a list like this and say, you know what? We need ten principles because here's an issue that we're wrestling with in our church does that make sense? And so here's what the biblical principle says for that. And, uh, and maybe that's something that you guys would need to do. For us at MBT, these are the things that we recognized were going on, that were issues that the church at large was struggling with, and they were issues that we recognized we were struggling with. And so we wanted to keep the major principles. What does the Bible say about these areas of struggle or, or potential distraction? And then let's just keep hammering them Uh, at at MBT and so Chris and I developed these nine ministry principles and then we began to share them with the staff that took the greater part of a year to work through this to understand hey what we're trying to do is we're not using this to replace discipleship Uh, these don't replace the four goals of discipleship Um, they're they're just bible these are just bible instructions bible principles They're going to help us keep the right focus as a ministry overall, and so without any more explanation, let's look at the first three or four, Lord willing, this morning, and uh, we'll just kind of talk through these. I gave you a fairly comprehensive set of notes. Uh, A lot of this is stuff that you would see on our website. If you went to mbtkc.org, Chris Miller did a really good job uh, organizing some of the material, and and uh, communicating it, and so uh, those resources are there for you. I wanted you to have that outline. I'm not going to follow it exactly, uh, but I will be making reference to it uh, this morning and tomorrow. Okay, so ministry principle number one. Ministry principle number one goes like this. We are a house of prayer. Where are all the praying churches today? You go to the average prayer meeting in the average church, and it is a snooze fest. You know, all of the prayers are going to be centered around everybody needing work, uh, their boss as an antichrist, uh, Aunt Mildred's bunion, and Uncle Joe's back. And you can only deal with those kind of prayer meetings so many times before you honestly don't care about Mildred's bunions and Jack's back, but you make a show of caring. And so when everybody's praying, uh, you're, you're taking notes on your phone, which is really you just texting your friends, right? Or uh, you're uh, maybe checking your Facebook feed or, what, or you're just taking a nap. And so one of the things that churches wrestle with is how do we how do we as a church become a people of prayer? And, and so the typical response is, well, we need a prayer meeting. And usually then that prayer meeting gets relegated to a small section in your Wednesday night service because that's, you know, all that we can get. We're going to try to attach our prayer to maybe something else that we're doing as a church. And as long as it doesn't take more than five or 10 minutes, then we can say that we as a church have prayed together. And man, praise the Lord for that, and praise the Lord for those attempts. Uh, Praise the Lord for those strategies, uh, because the church really does need to pray together. We need to call on the Lord together. You know, the ministry that God's called us to, do we have the capacity to fulfill that ministry in the power of our flesh? In other words, can you save anyone? Man, I can't get anyone born again. I can't, I don't have the power to grant new life, the new birth to someone. And for someone, you know, the the angels are greater in power and might. How am I going to see somebody translated out of Satan's kingdom and into God's kingdom? Uh, That is beyond my capacity. That's beyond my ability and my power. Except God move. Except God build his church. All of my activity and human endeavor, I'm laboring in vain. Hello, somebody. How many know that the work that God has called us to is so far beyond anything we could ever hope to attempt or accomplish in terms of our strength and our might? But man, we serve a mighty God. And his word is full of promises. Prayer is all about God's people getting a hold of God's word and crying out for the reality of it in our lives and in our ministry. That's what corporate prayer is all about. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus instructed us to pray together. Anybody remember what we're talking about? Where two or three are gathered together in Jesus' name, his promises is that he's in the midst. Whatever we ask in Jesus' name, whatever we ask the Father in Christ's name, we have it. And we know that there's caveats to this, right? This promise, whatsoever we ask we have, well, there are caveats. You know, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God says, talk to the hand. In other words, I don't get to say, you know what, God, Uh, thank you for giving me eternal life, but I'm going to live like hell, Uh, but, you know, answer my prayers anyway. No, okay, God is going to make sure that what I'm doing through my flesh, this world system, and even if I have to be delivered to Satan, to the destruction of my flesh, okay, so one way or the other, God is going to, because he is my father, He is going to take me to the woodshed and he's going to work me over. He's not going to... He's going to be answering his prayers in his heart, not mine. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God says talk to the hand, right? I have to ask according to his will. I mean, there are caveats to these promises. You got, this is a smart crowd. I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. The Bible is very clear on how we come to the Lord in prayer. The problem is, is we've got a lot of people who will say that they're biblical in the doctrine of salvation, but in terms of Christian living, really, you're just, you're just a Calvinist. You have this mindset. It's very easy for God's people to fall into the trap of saying, well, you know, God's sovereign, and it probably doesn't matter if I pray or not. God's going to just do what God's going to do, and, and I know that God's not willing that any would perish, and so, you know, souls are going to come to Christ, and whether I pray for them or not. Are you kidding me? God is sovereign. And he determined that he is going to see souls saved through the prayers of his people. Where are the people who have read 1 Timothy chapter 2? In 1 Timothy chapter 2 in verses 1 through 8, we are commanded to make all kinds of prayers for all kinds of men because God is not willing that any of them perish We are to pray for all kinds of men because God's will is that all of them would come to Christ. Nobody gets saved but what somebody is praying for them. And it it is an amazing thing to think about. We've got people that we know that are lost in sin and they are literally on their way to an eternity in hell. And we can't bother to be brokenhearted over that. We can't bother to get on our knees and cry out to God for their soul. We did it whenever we came to Saving Faith, whenever I recognized that I was on my way to hell, I got really motivated to pray. It was amazing what happened. I went from being self-sufficient and thinking I had the world by the tail to, oh, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. Once I saw the solution of the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, it was a done deal. I, you couldn't have stopped me from praying. There was no, I saw the reality of my need. Well, man, where are the people who in Christ's stead will say, be ye reconciled unto God. And because so few people are listening and because the world has hardened its heart against the living God and the gospel of God, which is his power for salvation, we're the people that will say, God, I mean, they'll effectively and fervently pray for the lost. God, I can't save them. You can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. You can lead a lost man to the gospel, but you can't make him receive it. But oh God, you're such a hard man to ignore. And you have the ability to let a man's life just mess him up. It's, so, it's just so awesome what happens when God's people begin to pray and cry out to God for lost souls. The church must be praying for the lost. So what we did in the early days is we began to have seasons of fasting and prayer uh, for our ministry, for the promises of God over our ministry. There is no way that we should have made it. The guy who sold us the building that we own right now, um, he told us, at, and, he, and he didn't say this until after the deal was done and we'd signed all the papers. And, and uh, he says, Sam, well, man, good luck. Man, God bless you, brother, uh, what you're doing. I'm just so thrilled. It's so amazing. He says, but you just need to know uh, that place right there in West, that's, it's Satan's seat. Nothing ever works there. That's what he told me. I'm like, well, you know, if I'd have known that 10 minutes ago, I wouldn't have signed <laughs> these papers. What in the world? I mean, <laughs> and I remember, you know, man, I just, I don't like fighting with people. And uh, one of the things that was just kind of running through the back of my mind is, is, you know, I see that and I've heard the stories and I knew uh, of all the ministries that tried in that, you know, began to make effort at that property, at that location and, and failed. And, and the, the brother who sold us the building, he's a dear brother and, and uh, he paid a heavy price. Uh, in his health and in the life of his family, uh, seeking to serve the Lord at that property. And and, uh, and I remember thinking at the time, is you know what, I, 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 think, I think what he's saying is real wisdom. Nothing has ever worked here. The building itself was built by a cult. I mean, that tells you a lot. Mary Baker Eddy built our building that we're, we're, we're meeting in. And I, I man, I just got on my face before the Lord, and I'm like, God, you know, he's right. But I know you work. <laughs> and uh, Lord, by your grace, man, we're going we're gonna to get full of faith. And we're going to trust you to keep your promises in our life and over our ministry. And God, so help us by your grace, we're going to see souls saved. We're going to see disciples made. We're going to see leaders trained and equipped. And Lord, if it pleases you, this ministry will begin to multiply around the world. We'll never work here. But oh God, you are a mighty Wonder working God. Amen? So we led the people to to seasons of prayer and fasting. I remember in the early days, we said, okay, nothing ever works here. My immediate response was 40 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, what was amazing is, is the number of disciples, after I went back afterward and looked at it, we were a church of about 130, 140 people at that time. The number of disciples that, that began to multiply after those 40 days of prayer and fasting were about 40, which for a small church was like, what are we going to do with all these people? That's when we first started realizing we we're going to have some space problems. And, uh, you know, every time we have entered into a season of prayer and fasting as a church, and, and we recognize these are things that, and, and pray for me, I need wisdom um, from a leadership standpoint. You know, you can, you know, a church, I think, can run the risk of of turning into a one-trick pony, you know, or beating a horse to death. You can end up focused on one thing to the exclusion of everything else, and, and there's so many things biblically that require a biblical balance, a biblical focus. You can't ignore other needful things for one necessary thing, you know, and so... Uh, as it stands now, we're really going after about two big seasons of prayer and fasting. Uh, it's an amazing thing. We did this. We're, so we're going to have a spring right after mission focus season of prayer and fasting, and then we'll have a fall season of prayer and fasting. And what we do in those, t- in those times is we say, let's get an Andrew list. Does anybody know what I'm talking about with an Andrew list? Uh, the Graham Association, whenever they would do these evangelistic rallies in cities, they would set the churches to praying for the lost. And they called it an Andrew list. Why? Because Andrew brought his family to Jesus, right? So these are the people that you want to bring to Jesus. Andrew brought his brothers. We want to bring those uh, that we love, that we're concerned about, to Christ. And so we keep a list of six or seven people, and we begin to pray, and we begin to fast, and we begin to call on the Lord to do what only God can do, And it's an amazing thing as we walk through the weeks of that season of prayer and fasting. Everybody's got a list of people that they're praying for, praying for the lost, praying in faith. And what we're doing is we're crying out to God to give us opportunities to share the gospel, to start a Bible study with them, uh, opportunities to invite them to who we are and what we're doing as a local church. And so at the beginning, uh, everybody's raising their hand, yeah, I've got people that I'm praying for. And then... As the season of prayer and fasting progresses, I'll ask for testimonies. Hey, how many had an open door? Uh, we're praying that Satan would be bound in their life, that they'd quit being able to see and hear and, and that the lies of the devil would quit making sense to them and that they begin to see the truth of God's word and, and that the doors for the gospel would begin to be opened and that God would give us boldness and wisdom to preach the gospel in a way that it needs to be preached and in the power of God's Holy Spirit. And and so as the season of prayer and fasting uh, commences. Well, then more and more people are saying, "Yeah, God gave me open doors." And what's so exciting for me as a pastor is to you fast forward a few weeks because people do come, every time, man. People come to Christ; they get they come in, they get plugged in, and and then just a few weeks later, then some of the some of the some of the testimonies start coming out, and and uh, somebody says, "You know what? I was uh, working with Havla Genther, and uh, she invited me to." to start a Bible study or I was with uh, uh, Amanda Allen and, and she invited me to, to start a Bible study and we started a Bible study together and, and man, it was through that Bible study that, that I realized I was a sinner and I needed to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and, and this is why I'm being baptized today. I mean, you know, they're wearing the MBT, I have decided baptismal t-shirt and, and uh, you know, like five months ago, they weren't even on our radar. But we said we recognize, God, that you're not willing that any would perish and we can't save them. And they won't even listen to us. God, you have to work in and through us as your people. You have to make your promises, the promises of your word, a reality in our life. And so here are these people that wouldn't give us the time of day, but oh, God, we're putting them front and center. We're putting them on your radar screen. We want to put a bullseye of Jesus Christ right in the center of their heart. God, would you begin to work? God, would you begin to use us? God, would you open doors for us to be able to minister into their life? And then it's just an amazing thing. It's almost like whoever would have thought these people that before would never would never darken the door of our they're like their whole world just starts coming apart. Um, their their countenance changes, their whole attitude changes, and and what was closed yesterday is open today. And now all of a sudden, here's this person who is actually considering the claims of Christ, and and uh, and then man, they come to the place where they're born again, and and now we're off to the races. We got another disciple uh, of Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? Had we not prayed, had we not prayed and fasted and cried out to God, and in so many cases with strong tears, God. There's no hope. Like, there's nothing we're going to be able to do to get this person to wake up and smell the brimstone, you know? (laughs) Uh, Once God's people begin praying in faith, man, now the doors are opening and, and the whole dynamic, the whole landscape changes. And now what God promised becomes now reality in the life of God's people. Does that make sense? So as a local church, we have a Tuesday night prayer ministry meeting. This is the most important ministry that we have as a local church. And some of you, I know what you're thinking. Well, the ministry of the local church is discipleship. Well, good luck making disciples if you don't pray for them, right? (laughs) So because we recognize that God has called us to make disciples, well, now we got to pray kingdom prayers. Uh, the corporate prayer ministry on Tuesday night is the most important ministry that we have as a local church because that's where all the worshipers come from. (laughs) It's the answers to those prayers that produce the souls and the disciples that become worshipers of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You have not because you ask not. That's just how this thing works. Oh, churches of little faith... There's so much that God could be doing in and through your churches, but you're too busy with activity, you're too busy with all the minutiae of ministry, you know, just getting from this thing to that thing and doing everything with excellence. We've learned a long time ago, there's not much we do well. You can come to MBT and you can find a thousand things wrong with this church. Uh, man, God bless you for that. Maybe you can be an answer to one of the problems at MBT. There's not much that we do really well, but oh man... Uh, we know somebody that does all things well. And, when, and he's our daddy. And we ask, and he's so glad. He is so, he, I mean, he's just so good to answer the prayers of his children. We have to pray. MC Hammer got it right. We have to pray just to make it today. Some of you need to Google that. Thank God for MC Hammer. really had a profound theological impact on my life. (laughs) It is an amazing thing when God's people come together and get full of faith. And so when we pray, we pray for Aunt Mildred's bunions, and we pray for Lester's broken toe and and, uh, Bernie's back and all of that. We do that, but that is the overwhelming minority of what we're doing when we come together to pray. As God's children... What we want to do is we want to major on praying for a kingdom focus. We want to pray for the promises of God's word being made reality in the life of God's people. Whenever you study the prayers of the Apostle Paul, uh, it's not all about people's sickness and their jobs. Okay, It's all about who God is and all that God has being manifest in the life of his people. That God's people would see him, who he is, and what he has done for all that it is, and that, that that would transform their life. That's what we need. We need to to pray and see the church come to the place where she knows God because that's how we're gonna get the work done that God's called us to in this world. Amen? I don't have the ability to save anyone. I don't have the ability to mature anyone. Uh, This is what God does. So it's not us like, you know, this is a manifestation of what Mark was talking about last night. There's very, I mean, what are we gonna do for God? Oh, but man, there's so much that God wants to do through us. And you have not because you ask not. The way that our corporate prayer ministry works is we say we want to just roughly run things by thirds. And this is what we're shooting for. We rarely hit it. Uh, But I'm always aiming for about a third worship, testimony, praise, um, thanksgiving. That's about a third of our focus in the corporate prayer ministry times that we have. Uh, We need a third of the time to be dedicated to instruction because we don't want to pray for what we want. We want to pray for what God wants. And we've learned, what God wants in my life is so much better than anything that I wanted for my life. Man, if I got all the things that I wanted in my life today, I'd be so miserable. Uh, All the time, man, God, thank you for all the no's even in in terms of answer to prayer. Um, God, we want his will to be made reality, his word to be made reality in our life. So we need instruction. And then a third of the time, uh, being dedicated to the prayers of God's people. And what this has done, the, you know, the tip, there's a pattern loosely that we follow, but, but what it's made for is a pretty lively prayer ministry meeting. Uh, it's tough to come to our Tuesday night prayer meeting and fall asleep. Uh, it is, the other thing that's happened is roughly half of the church comes to the midweek service. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Uh, I'm not satisfied with that. I am under the firm conviction that the whole of MBT should be showing up on Tuesday night, which would not work. We would actually then have to go to a Tuesday night prayer ministry meeting and a Thursday night prayer ministry meeting, pick one, and, you know, but, but we're not at that place yet. But you guys all know that, that nobody shows up to the midweek meeting. Do you know that? Uh, that's what happens, you know, so if, a church, if it's a church of a 1,000 you're lucky to get 10% of the people to show up uh, for the midweek shot in the arm, the midweek meeting. And, and so it is an amazing thing whenever God's people come together and Jesus is in the midst, you kind of, man, you kind of want to come back. <laughs> it, is, it is fun. It is awesome. Uh, it's a little terrifying. It's wonderful to meet with the living God. Amen? So this needs to trickle into everything else that we do. You know, when Jesus came to the temple... And he saw that other business was being prioritized. He got upset, didn't he? And what did he say? You know, you made my house a house of merchandise. That's not what I designed. My house shall be called what? And house of prayer for who? Okay, well, now you have some homework. Who is this house of prayer for? All people. Okay, so this needs to trickle down into every area of our ministry Whenever God's people meet, they should pray. I mean, I don't have a perfect family. Uh, you know, there is something to be said for your raising adults, people that are self sufficient and, and they're not in your ear all the time. I mean, that is the goal. Um, you know, Sophia, for example, she turns 20 here in a, in a week or so. and And so she's not in my ear all the time, but she doesn't go out of her way to avoid me. I like that. (laughs) That's a good thing. Um, When families come together, at our family, I have this thing that I love. It's called the miles pile. You may have something similar in, in, in your home. It's very hard as my kids get older. It's hard to get a miles pile going. But basically, the miles pile is whenever the whole family can be together and we'll be piled on the couch talking We'll be piled on the couch, maybe we're watching a show or something, and I just love being literally in the middle of my family, just smother me in mileses, and I'm just happy as a hog and slop. Not that you're slop, kids. Okay. <laughs> I think that's how families are supposed to operate, right? Uh, God's Spirit, Romans chapter 8, bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God, and we can cry out to our Father and call Him Daddy, Abba. Amen. Why wouldn't you want to spend time with him, uh, speaking to him together as a family? Why wouldn't we want to spend time? We're really good in our churches of hearing from him through his word, letting God speak to us through his word, but we need to talk back, and he wants to hear from us, and he commands it. And so it should be a natural thing when God's people come together to pray. And so when we have meetings, when we have ministry activity, whatever we're doing, we want to acknowledge, we want the Lord to bless what we're doing, amen? Amen. So we need to acknowledge the Lord in all our ways because we desperately need him to direct our paths. We're like little children. We don't know where we should go. We don't know what we should be doing. We need God to make sure that his word is clear and it's, it's, it's not only understood, but now it's the mandate. It's the mission of our heart and our work. So we gotta, we gotta acknowledge him. We gotta ask so that we'll receive. We need the Lord to direct our paths. And so when we come together, we pray together. The way the principle works then is this. Uh, We're a house of prayer, and so whatever we do together, we're going to do it before the Father in prayer. Anything that's a distraction from prayer is not on the menu. So in other words, let's say your your soapbox derby ministry is, you know, these tournaments are on Tuesday night in Kansas City. Well, guess what? You're not taking anybody from MBT, to go be a part of your soapbox derby outreach because that's when MBT gathers together to provoke one another to love and to good works. So you're not going to let people forsake that assembly. You're not going to be able to... What you're doing is good, but it's getting in the way of one of these core principles. And so you're not... In other words, nobody gets to schedule anything that pulls people out of our prayer ministry meetings. Nothing else. There's no small group. Bible study, you're not discipling. Whatever, whatever good idea that you think you have on Tuesday night at MBT, if it's not coming to 40th and Walnut, it's a bad idea. Does that make sense? Um, don't make me come for you. That's how the principle works. Is everybody with me? Okay, so so that's where we're at. We covered the first principle. Uh, we did some setup. Uh, we'll cover the other eight tomorrow. God is my witness, we'll be able to do that. Um, does this make sense, what we're saying? Let me pray for you. And, uh, and then uh, tomorrow we'll, we'll look at the other eight principles. As a matter of fact, what would be great is if you get a little time between to, to today and tomorrow, uh, read through them. And that'll, that'll help us, the time tomorrow will be a lot more valuable. Father, Lord bless my brothers and sisters in Christ bless their ministries, bless their churches, God, be glorified in them, do what only you can do. Father, I pray that you'd deliver my brothers, uh, the pastors, deliver them from the need to be impressive, from the need to prove themselves, from the need to uh, be brilliant, uh, from the need to have significance in the eyes of men. Uh, to crave the acceptance of men lord we 're all flesh and, and we 're all relational creatures, and and these are things that we naturally desire and, and Lord, I do ask you for that they would be accepted and that they would be uh, appreciated, but oh God, that the cry of our hearts would be not to offend you, and that the cry of our hearts would be to be uh, desperate for your glory and for your word to be made reality in. Our ministries, God, these are things that only you can do. Uh, there's a danger of, you know, in seeking to, to reach people to end up with a real Genesis 10, 11 ministry model where we're just trying to get people to come and build our tower and make a name for ourselves. And, and Lord, that's not the spirit of Christ. That's really the spirit of Antichrist working into the church. And, and so, Lord, we pray against that. God, help us to recognize that the work you've called us to of winning souls and making disciples, training, equipping, and sending, uh, except you build the house, we labor in vain. God, except you make your word reality in the life of our ministries, then, Lord, we're just playing church, like little children playing house. Uh, We're just going through the motion, and we're holding church services. And so, God, help us to recognize that as pastors, Uh, we got to lead God's people to do the things that produce the results that your word says should be true in our ministry. But only by your grace, Lord. It's only through you working through us that we're going to be able to actually do it. And so, Father, give grace. Uh, Open our understanding as ministry leaders. And then, God, for my brothers and sisters in the churches, God, make us willing-hearted. Help us to be a people who are full of faith. And that, God, anything that you promised over our life, we can trust you for that. And we do need to know your word so that we do understand the caveats and the conditions and, and so that we know your mind, so that we understand where you're coming from, that God, our faith would not be a vain faith and something that, that we've manufactured in our own heart and our mind, but that we can stand on the certainty of your word and know and be assured of where you're leading us and what you're wanting to do in and through us and that, God, that there would be excitement in our churches that we know we're in the center of your will. And we, in the center of your will, we see you at work in our churches and we say, God is in this place and I get to be a part. And it's not because my pastor is awesome or because I'm awesome or because uh, this other brother or sister over there is being so awesome or because our church is so good looking or whatever. No, no, no. God is in this place. And when people come, they say, I recognize that the Lord is work. How can I be at, uh, at work in this place? How can I be a part? Lord, let us all be able to say we're a part of churches where you're at work. And we can say that we're privileged as brothers and sisters in Christ to be a part of a place where you're at work. Lord, um, I know this, when your people pray, whenever they cry out to you for the reality of your word, I know it pleases your heart. I know that you're ready, waiting in the wings to answer. Lord, we would spend the rest of this conference if we tried to give you, uh, to give God's people all of the awesome answered prayers, not even the little stuff, just the awesome answered prayers that we've seen at MBT over the last 10 years. We would literally spend the next three days just recounting the amazing works that you have done in the lives of our people. Uh, You are a prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. Help us to be wise, to lead uh, our churches, to be houses of prayer for all people. Lord, let the testimony of the Living Faith Fellowship be this, that 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 word has gotten out and that our churches are praying churches and that, that people are coming and they're saying, I heard that your church prays and I heard that God answers here. Would you pray for me? God, be glorified in our fellowship. Lord, bless our food, the, the lunch that we're about to receive. Lord, strengthen us. Give us a safe time of play this afternoon. Give us some rest Lord, bring us back tonight to attend on your word. Lord, be with Mark as he prepares, and Lord, use him in our lives tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you. You're dismissed. Grab your kids. Grab your lunch. Oh, and uh, just so you know, they're not swiping cards for us at lunch. You have to have your card, but they're not going to swipe your card, so it's the honor system, all right? If you steal lunch, oh my goodness. This is church camp, okay? You have to have your card, but uh, they're not going to swipe it. They want to speed things up.